Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Crosswires, the technology podcast where we try and look at things that are cool and positive and maybe more interesting in technology. And this week we are heading into the cloud. That's right. Well, maybe into the next cloud. Sorry, that was a terrible pun. I'm sorry. Oh, that was God. awful. It starts, it starts. And you get mad at me for my puns. I've learned from the best. Now, that lovely voice you hear is my fantastic co-host, Jay. Jay, I know you're really excited about this episode because this is this is very much us talking about the tech that we use. Like, literally, this technology powers everything we do for Crosswires. Absolutely. And I am loving this because like this last year, I have tried to reduce my dependence on like commercially available storage from like Microsoft and, and stuff like that. So it's been cool to be able to set up our own thing like this. And I am loving like, like I said, it's nice that we have this for all of our guests. So I'm so excited. I'm, I'm going to stop there. Oh, yeah, I've warned Jay not to gush too much. But let me introduce this week's guest, Joss Portvliet, the co-founder and marketing director at Nextcloud. Joss, how are you doing? Hi, everyone. Uh, very happy to be here. I'm excellent. Thank you. Good, good, good. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Um, this this all sort of stemmed, as, as a lot of our episodes do, this all stemmed on me reaching out to... As, uh, a product we love on in this case on mastodon and then dropping the pr team an email and josh jumped on board and we are here recording now josh you're currently in uh, in brazil am i right yeah that's true visiting family and friends uh, my uh, spouse is brasileiro uh, from the south and so we're traveling visiting friends family etc every now and then it's been a while since the whole covid thing so it's really nice to to spend some time here and get to meet everyone again Fantastic. And you know what? It's one of the things I love about podcasting and, you know, Squadcast, just another shout out to those guys. The fact that we can sit here, me in the north of England, Jay in the somewhere in, in America. I was about to name the state you're in. I won't do that. And then, you know, Joss in Brazil and we've worked out the time zones. It's working. So just be, before we get into sort of the origins of Nextcloud and what Nextcloud is, um, do you want to maybe tell people a little bit about yourself? Maybe think any little gems that people might be interested in before we uh, talk about uh, dive into the clouds yeah gems uh before the show uh, we talked a little bit about the linux desktops mm. i'm unfortunately on a, a mac now because these macbook airs are so nice to bring with you but i am looking forward to be able to run a decent kde session on there because that's where i come from uh, i mean open source started for me a bit with mandriva mandrake i mean it went through all these name changes uh, magaya i think it, I, I to be honest it, it's not very active anymore of course uh, but Gail, Mandriva founder, Mandrake founder, of course, is still doing uh, interesting Maxcloud stuff. So that's really cool. Um, and then I, I was active in the KD community. So um, big fan. Uh, still using it. it. It's at home. It's my daily driver on the desktop. Um, it's just, you know, you can make it work your way. And I'll, I like my computer to do what I want. And yeah, I've also been at OpenSUSE after that. Uh, so that's now still my distro of choice. Although I've tried a dozen or so. Who hasn't? Exactly. Any any self-respecting Linux user cannot say they are a Linux user until they've at least wiped their system 20 times to try different distributions over the space of a month, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> and it's funny because we were talking pre-show. Um, the, the machine I'm using to, to do this session is running KDE Plasma. It, it, we're saying it's the 
again, folks, recording on the Steam Deck. And actually, over the last week or so, exploring more and more about the Steam Deck as a Linux desktop. And um, if you're maybe not sure what the heck we're talking about with Linux, well, don't worry, we're not. This isn't necessarily a deep dive into Linux, but do go and check out our episode with the wonderful Nick from the Linux Experiment, uh, where we actually do a little bit of a uh, of an intro to Linux, and it's a maybe a great preface to this uh, this episode. I think we even mentioned Nextcloud in that episode. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, the Steam Deck in particular, you know, just to be able to get this pretty awesome gaming device. I really love what Valve is doing there. I don't have one myself, but it's mostly because I'm, you know, a really old-fashioned um, strategy desktop gamer. So, I mean, yeah, what am I going to do with a handheld device? And, you know, I don't really see that work very well with Subcom. Um, but, um, yeah, I do... Uh, I do love the initiative there and what they're building and I benefit from it because, you know, as a Linux user, you know, with Steam, you get the benefit from the work that they put in. And this is, of course, kind of one of the beautiful things about open source, uh, the, the, the effort being put in for gamers all around the world is benefiting, you know, all these Linux geeks at home as well. I think that's that's the beauty compared to, you know, the big tech technology where somebody makes something and if they decide, yeah, I'm done with it, uh, think of Google and all the stuff they've dropped over the years, then it's like, okay, that's it. Sorry, maybe if you're lucky, you can export your data. Of course, then where to import it. And that's it. You're just left-handed. It is a shame. And I know, Jay, you're, you've been very much, you're not as much, uh, you have a Steam Deck just like I do, but you're not, I wouldn't say, without being put, putting you down at all, I wouldn't say you're as much of a Linux nerd as, as. No, I have definitely, I've used, um, Lindos, I've used Ubuntu. Wow. So, and, 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 and especially on Mac, I've done a lot of work with wine. I know it's Unix based, but I've done a lot of work with wine getting, I think, uh, crossover, the oh, port yes. forwarding project. So, ah, or, nice. or it's either port forward, not port forwarding, but there's the porting, um, oh, project you mean out uh, there. the porting of, of apps? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then co- a lot of them to like, it's building on wine. Yeah. So it's it. the yeah. same tech. So the improvements that Steam does do end up, I think, in CodeWeaver. I don't know the exact relations between all the projects, but I would guess it does, which is, again, a nice synergy. It really is. And, of course, you know, for people who maybe, you know, although, you know, Linux nerd, Linux nerds, I love that term, Linux nerds love the distributions, macOS still has a great Unix underpinning. So when, you know, we've obviously yep. been help, learn, helping Jay to learn a bit more admin about some of our servers, we've been going through some, you know, some really solid Unix foundations and Linux foundations on macOS. But anyway, we could spend all day talking about Linux distributions. Let's let's talk about about Nextcloud because Nextcloud is one of those things. I up until probably I'd say earlier this year, I'd heard of Nextcloud. I've heard of of people talking about it. I've heard of the idea, and I think even for example, when I install my TrueNAS. Uh, instance at home for storage one of the options is that they have native support for installing yep. nextcloud and i was like oh well i don't see and i was very being very honest i'm like i don't see the point of this i've got icloud drive i've got you know google docs i've got everything i was so much like, i don't need this this is too complicated but then i think what triggered us to look at it for for us for crosswires was some real frustration points with icloud drives shared folders and the complexity. So for those of you who don't know, iCloud does have shared folders. 
And if you're just sharing the entire folder, it mostly works. There's a lot of issues with sync delay. There's a lot of issues with things like that. But once you've shared a folder, you can't then ever... Say, for example, I've got a file within that shared folder that I just want to share out to someone who's not in a shared folder. Can't do it. You cannot share individual files within an iCloud Drive shared folder. And it's those pain points. And as Jay was saying, she was trying to reduce her dependency on other cloud services. So we looked at Nest Cloud, and I think it's fair to say we kind of fell in love almost instantly. That's really great to hear. Because like we were using some like other commercially accessible um, applications. Like there's a, it was actually a pretty decent collaborative document oh, craft. program we were hmm. craft yeah, yeah we were enjoying craft because it was part of our setup subscription but we just there was something we wanted more of and we we're looking at okay if we're going to invest in the cost of it do we invest in this system or do we look at nextcloud because one thing that's as impressed us about our own nextcloud we've really tailored it to our needs mm-hmm. like we've turned off different features that we that we don't ourselves use and we've able, been able to tailor it exactly to our use case. Yeah. So you're probably all wondering, what on earth is Nextcloud? So, Joss, do you want to tell people the the story of Nextcloud, the history? How did everything uh, get started? And I think, it, you know, from what you've noted down here, we're actually going back to those KDE roots again. Right, absolutely. I and But let me first say, I, I find this so amazing that I guess I'm a long-time open-source person you know often in the open source community we we look at a proprietary product and we say okay we need to have an alternative for that you know because in open source we care about this control that you have over your own computer and you should be able to adjust the software this goes all the way back to the beginning of, of the whole concept of the gpl license right i want my printer to run and i want the warning in my printer when the paper is empty and i can't change the driver because it's proprietary what's wrong with this i bought the bloody thing yeah, this was the initial frustration. And this is often a reason for people. And but what I love about the conversation you two just had is that it wasn't so much about we need an alternative, but you say, look, we wanted a better product. We wanted things that were just not working well from a product of a literally billion-dollar company. And there's this open-source alternative. Yeah, That's better, not just more flexible, but I think in many ways easier to use and with more abilities. And that's just, to me, that's still mind-blowing a little bit that, that at NextCloud, you know, and, and we started in 2010 to build back then straight up an alternative to Dropbox. Um, so my good friend Frank, he started it um, in, uh, in a talk at San Diego, a KD community event in San Diego. Yeah, he, he presented basically the vision where he basically said, look, you know, we as Linux desktop, we have built an alternative to Windows and tons of applications on the Microsoft platform. But more and more, people are putting all the files in the cloud. And so all this control we're trying to give people to over their computing, they're losing right now to the cloud. And, you know, so he said, okay, we need to build an alternative. And, and that's how it started. And I just still find it mind-blowing sometimes that we've succeeded to this, to the point that people say, well, I'm using Nextcloud, not because it's cheap or free as open source. Now, of course, there are costs, long story. Um, you still need to host it somewhere, etc. But, you know, not because of principles even, but just because it's a better product. And, I mean, I don't want to say it's a better product in every possible way, but for tons of people, it's not just that it's lower cost, 
or that it's, um, you know, some principle, not even privacy. I mean, we have customers, literally billion-dollar companies that use NextCloud because they can squeeze out better performance than what the likes of Google and Microsoft can offer them. And that's just freaking awesome. That's something that really, I think, sets us a bit apart from, you know, some other open source projects that are struggling to, to build a competitive solution. And that has, of course, in part to do with the fact that we have a pretty healthy, you know, balance between community and company. So let me go back a little bit in, in you know, the story then. So, so it started in 2010. You know, the goal was to build this, this open source alternative to put your files online and have them available on your laptop and your desktop. This was very much, of course, what back then people would use tools like Dropbox for to sync between their different devices, to have their files accessible, to, to be able to share a photo album with other people, these things. That's how it started, and that's still a very important part of NextCloud. And a ton of our users, they're still, you know, the Photos app is still very popular and important. And um, But it has expanded in that. If you look at what other tools have done, right, at some point there came like the Google Office suite, and other companies, of course, were ahead of them. I mean, it's not like Google invented this, that just bought a company that had built a collaborative Office suite. <laughs> uh, the big boys don't innovate, let's be honest. They buy or copy but there was tons of interesting stuff happening in the space. And today people want this, this collaboration platform thing. They, they want the place where they can not just put their files, but also edit them in a browser together with other people. Ideally, they want to be able to add mention people there. They want to put in comments. They want to uh, share their files via a public link or internally in groups. They want to be able to put comments on top of their folder. They want to you know comment on the file itself, of course. They want to have a video chat and then edit the document in the video chat. They want to attach it to an email or immediately have the file saved from an email into their files, all these things. And so this is today what we're building. Uh, and it's a pretty big thing. Um, and it's been a long road, of course, to get here, but we've been pretty successful. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of Nexus servers on the internet. We estimate somewhere about half a million. It's hard to know exact numbers because guess what? We're not tracking. Now let's get to what makes Nextcloud different in a minute. But this is, of course, one of the things that makes us different. And each of these servers might have two people on them, like yours. But there are servers out there with 4 million users and more. So the total number of Nextcloud users is in the tens of millions at least. But again, we don't have hard numbers because we're not monitoring all of these. Because well, the different thing is, of course, that we just make software which is completely open source. And you as a user need to take it and put it somewhere to run. And that then becomes your own private cloud. Of course, not everybody can run their own server, to be clear. So if you have a, a true NAS system, you can just install the app. If you're um, at some hosting provider, they often will have an app. There are companies that offer Nexat hosting, really big ones too. So there are many ways to get it. But the principle is we don't host. We don't have your data. If you ask us for a password reset, then I'm very sorry. I cannot help you. <laughs> and like NextCloud, for instance, is is sometimes on top of like like innovations. Like you already have passwordless logins, even uh, to uh, like, uh, pass keys. You already have pass keys available and I, they're pretty easy to set up. One thing that I, like I'm impressed at is I I have the your Mastodon in, um, account on a notifications and routinely you'll put out calls for like people to collaborate on the on one of the apps we use Nextcloud Text because mm-hmm. like for instance we didn't we ourselves didn't need some of the more 
office WYSIWYG stuff, but we wanted more markdown. And I've been very impressed with text, but it's been cool to be able to like say, hey, I want this specific app. And yeah, if, if there's some, someone has a problem with stuff, I've even been browsing your community forums and people have been like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put in a commit to the project to be like, Hey, this is something I want to see changed. And that's the, that is one of the beauties of open source is if you don't like it, there's a very big chance you could change. I, Oh yes. I'm actually, it's one of my claims to fame. I'm in the, the WordPress copyright for making a modification to the original WordPress core. So I love wow. that. But that's, that's pretty epic. And that there are literally, you know, billions of people who basically use your product directly and yeah, indirectly. Absolutely. I mean, that's and crazy, I have, right? That's nothing compared to Nextcloud, actually. I mean, and I was 12 at the time. time. You were 12. I know. Wow. wow. <laughs> well, you know, in terms of, well, talk about having an impact on the world, yes. I mean, it's definitely one of the epic things about, I think, about open source that, you know, we, we recently put out a call for um, proposals, you know, for people to, to, to create templates you know, Nextcloud has a template feature that when you create a document, it will first show you the templates that you have if you have this enabled. And you can just drop files of a certain type in uh, the folder, that, the slash template folder that, that you get. And then, um, yeah, if that file is a dot .odt and then you're trying to create um, an .odt file, then it will show you those files as options uh, with a little, you know, template uh, picture and all that. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's it's really cool that people can contribute to something like this in such a relatively easy way. You don't need to be a magician to be able to create a really cool template and have literally tens of millions of people have access to that template and be more efficient. You know, you're, you're literally making the world a little easier for tens of millions of people by doing something like that. I think that's definitely a bit of the power of open source and of community in general that, you know, we can work together on making things better. And again, even if you don't care about any of that, Nexod is a pretty awesome product. <laughs> absolutely. And, and it's, yeah, it's one of the things I absolutely adore about the open source community. And again, ju- just to make sure we're plugging all our previous episodes, you know, it's one of the things we talked to Tom uh, Lawrence about is how valuable open source can be for business tools. Because heaven forbid there would be a security issue inside of Nextcloud. Well, because it's an open source project, not only have you got your team being very conscious, being aware of what's going on, you've got the, the, the nerds out there who can say, actually, you know, that little bit of code there, that might be a problem. Hey, here's, I, I'll, I'll, put, I'll contribute a fix to that. And then by the very nature of those fixes coming in, those commits, those, con- uh, those pull requests, Nextcloud as a whole is improved by its community. And again, support by community is such an important thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. We could not build what we have here without community. I mean, in every release, for example, I don't know if you've looked at the deck app, you know, no. this kind of a lightweight Kanban style app. I see hands going up. Awesome. Yeah. So deck is now collaborative in the sense that if you're both editing a deck board in real time, things will update. That wasn't done by the company. That was done by a community member. Yeah, just something that's not trivial. Yeah, that's that's a, just a powerful improvement that benefits tons of people. And it was done by somebody who thought that they should bloody do that. Yeah. And they made it happen. And that's that's really cool. I mean, many of the most powerful features of Nextcloud, external storage, which we talked about a little bit before the show started, 
is a feature that was done by community manager. Heck, LDAP support was not done by a paid developer initially. Wow. I mean, he got hired lately, and that's true for a ton of people, people who develop great apps for Nextcloud, like a knowledge base, collectives. Again, don't know if you tried it. It's really awesome. It's a full Markdown-based knowledge base. If you like Markdown, you should definitely check it out because it's essentially using Nextcloud text as the editor component in a wiki. Um, so the files, the backend is all just Markdown files, but it presents you a real wiki interface with pages and full text search, you know, and linking between documents and the whole thing is all there and you can sync it to your desktop and access it from, you know, just a Markdown, local Markdown editor, you know, you're not, there's, there's, the data is not put in some proprietary database format that you wouldn't know how to edit. No, you can just make a public link to one of the files and then somebody externally can see them just like normally with Nextcloud text. And this was built by community members. Just two people working on this, building, because they thought, hey, we need a good open source knowledge base for collectives, for like communities who are doing stuff together. I think one of them actually is part of a group of people, um, yeah, doing gardening stuff, I believe. Oh, wow, okay. And so this was the initial motivation to start building this. And they even got a grant from an, um, a European um, government-supported organization that supports open source projects building stuff. And they just they looked at Nextcloud, they looked at text, and they thought, hmm, if we just take text and we make that a page, and then you put a list of pages, you've got a collaborative wiki without much complications. And so they build it. They've expanded it, and then we hired them because it's bloody useful, and we have customers who started using it. And, you know, we need to support it. And, you know, we thought, well, how about we give you two a job so you can work on making it even better, make customers happy, make users happy. It's a win-win all over. Uh, and, you know, that ties in so nicely with what I think Jay's going to talk to us about next, which is, you know, why people might want to be considering Nextcloud in particular as an alternative to Office 365 and Google Workspace. Because the minute you started talking, Joss, about that, that, uh, wiki, that wiki, that collaborative wiki tool, my mind went straight to SharePoint because oh. SharePoint is so complicated and that was my first thought. Jay, do you want to lead into our next sort of question set to uh, to Jaws? Absolutely. So, like, one of the things that, that, that I definitely want to bring up is why people should consider an alternative to the things out there like Office 365 or Google Workspace. For instance, I was in a, a um, some companies. I'm not, I, this is more just saying that, like, I, I was part of the – planning of their systems and like we use office 365 for one google workspace for another if i had done about nextcloud i might have actually encouraged nextcloud use because for for instance i've seen people use files on on, on one server i mean and just like different things and like opening up a server publicly I'm, I'm just saying it but like i've seen so many different people use different use, use cases and like nextcloud for instance Let's even just go to the uh, security of, of of Nextcloud. What would you say to somebody who's like, "Why should I trust an open source project versus one of these companies, one of these products by these big Fortune 500 companies?" Yeah, I mean, this is indeed kind of the the million or should I say these days trillion dollar question. And I think while we just talked about how Nextcloud, you know, has capabilities that sometimes transcend what big tech firms are building. Um, and why Nextcloud has these these flexibilities and integrations and things that they don't. And 
you know, there's also an incentive story here that, that I'll touch upon in a minute as well. But I think the, the key point for most people is control. Just control over their data. Uh, if you upload your data to Google or Microsoft or any of the other big tech firms, I mean, look, there's a reason why company after company is forbidding their employees from using ChatGPT. Yeah. But explain to me what is different here. They don't want ChatGPT to be trained on their data. Yeah, but what do you think Google and Microsoft and the other companies are doing? Are you really think that Facebook doesn't train its AI tools on photos on Facebook? Of course it does. That's why they were so much ahead in AI stuff and face recognition from early on. I mean, are you kidding me? So, sure, they, they, they might say we don't. And, you know, maybe in some cases they do or they don't. I mean, would you know? No, you won't. Because, I mean, how are you going to check what they are doing? I mean, I leave that one for, for lawyers and, and hackers to find out what really is happening in the big companies. And sure, they have a ton of pressure on them to do things right. But even then, you don't know what is happening with the data. You have no control over it. If you say, hey, you know, I want the full export of my data, what format will you get it? Can you upload it anywhere else? Like this lack of control also results in, you know, collaboration barriers. Uh, if you put your documents on Google Drive, and you want to share with somebody with a Dropbox account, well, you've got to create a Dropbox account. You want to upload your files there. You start copying them. I mean, a lot of big companies, they're using every one of these clouds, and their employees are constantly going like, oh, wait, did I upload that to Trello attached to a card? Or did, is the original in Google Drive? Or was it in 365? And maybe it's attached to an email. So you get a bloody mess. Um, there's zero control over it. If you're a system administrator, it's a complete nightmare to have 20 of these different cloud solutions because they're all connected. And if one of them has security breach and your password for all of them have to be reset, because of course your employees are reusing passwords or they're using a connected you know, authentication mechanism and you just lost a couple of keys that can be reused to get somewhere else in. It's just, it's a nightmare. Why don't you run these things as it was in the old days on your own server? So a bit of extra work, Sure. Is it cheaper? Probably. Do you have more control? Absolutely. Does it make compliance easier? Certainly. Not even talking about privacy here if you're a private user. So both for private users and for businesses, there's a ton of reasons to just regain control over that data, keep it in their own data center, only share it with people they think should have access to it, and that's it. And because you're running it in your own data center, you can do all kinds of stuff with it that you couldn't do otherwise. I mean, the German federal government is running Nextcloud, and they're just completely firewalled it off from the internet. So you won't find it online. It's not part of that half a million Nextcloud servers out there because there's no way to connect to it, which also means if you want to steal data on there, not only do you have to contend with Nextcloud's own security, but oh yeah, it's actually not on the internet. You have to first get into their internal network, and then you can get there. Same, by the way, with the German radio and television they're actually, from what I understand, running two instances, one that's connected for their journalists. When they're in the war zone, they do an interview on their iPhone, and then it automatically syncs via the Nextcloud app back to the servers, and then it is copied over internally on some very fast all-fiber SSD network, where then the people do the audio and video editing with super high bandwidth, something they could never do if they kept the data on an external server. This is all stuff you can't do if you don't run the stuff on your own system. It's security, it's convenience, it's performance. It's a ton of control. And also for private users, of course, you get a lot of these things. You can play with it. Uh, 
hook it into your NAS, hook it into multiple storage systems at the same time. Maybe you even have a storage you don't trust. You encrypt the files before they get sent to the storage and they get decrypted on your private server when they come back from the storage. You don't even need to trust it. If you want to keep using Google Drive or Dropbox because you're still paid until the end of next year, fine, use it as external storage. Just encrypt it. They can't you know, get at your data. That is incredible. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that angle where you've got industries where, you know, where sensitive data needs to be kept under strict controls. And as good as I say as good as I'm sure that Microsoft and Google are trying and putting measures in place and putting, you know, policies in place to allow people to control. I mean, I think recently I saw some, you know, we're not saying, I don't think we're saying by the way, that these are bad products. It's just, there's that huge lack of control because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes as a user. Yes. I mean, there was, there was a story recently that, um, you know, uh, Microsoft with Office 365, if you want to enforce two-factor authentication across the entire organization, you have to pay for a premium license to enforce 2FA uh, or MFA, should I say, multi-factor, across an entire org. Nextcloud doesn't force you to do that. What, what license? It's your server. You're just running open source software. And yes, we can, um, unless I'm much mistaken, we can enforce two-factor across our entire, uh, all our user base, um, which is, um, and we do, by the way, if anyone's trying to connect to our Nextcloud instance, ours is, ours is facing the cloud. But we've, thanks to, you know, help from Akamai, you, the only interface, you will only be able to get into certain parts of our Nextcloud if you know the URLs. And they are just show notes. There's nothing of actual file storage. You're not going to get anywhere near it. Um, I dare you to try. Um, <laughs> I would just think what you were saying there now, because you just said that Microsoft basically makes security an additional expense. Yes. I mean, that alone tells you, should make you doubt whether that's a company you should trust with your data in the first place, right? If security becomes a feature now, what the heck are we talking about here? I mean, I... Just like you said, I don't want to doubt they make a good product. They do. A lot of it is excellent product. I mean, we definitely beat them in some areas, but there are plenty of areas where a trillion-dollar company can do better than us. I mean, you know, you, you won't hear me say the opposite, but the fact that you're dependent on that company and its whims. I mean, Google is famous for the products they have dropped, but, I mean, SharePoint, you dropped the name earlier. If you have an on-prem SharePoint I hope you're looking for an alternative because it's going to the cloud whether you want it or not because you have no control. This is going to happen. I mean, we offer an alternative, of course. We even have a migration service, by the way. So if you are looking for an alternative for your on-prem SharePoint, check our website. But this fact that you just are not in control at a fundamental level, that you're left to the whim of these companies who can, by their agreement with you, I don't know if you ever read them, but better not if you want to sleep well, uh, can do what they want. I don't think it's a good situation to be in, uh, both at a societal level, because, of course, let's be honest, like we started Nextcloud not because we wanted something for ourselves, but because we thought it was necessary for, well, let's say, society, certainly democratic society, to be able to have some independence from a handful of big tech firms. I don't think that's a good place to be in as a society to depend on those. But also because it's just much more flexible and people can do it, build on top of it and, and add functionality, etc. So it's 
It's a big picture. One thing I did want to just mention, and Jos, I apologize, I didn't put this in the show notes, but I just want to make one mention one thing that Nextcloud doesn't do. And I think it's an important thing to mention that Nextcloud doesn't do. Nextcloud is not an email server. And there's a very good reason for that because running your own email server, unfortunately, these days is, I, I think it's fair to say, is a no go. And I will just refer people back to yeah. the episode we did with the lovely Helen Horseman Allen from Fastmail. If you want private email, go and check out Fastmail. But am I wrong, Joshua? The whole concept these days of trying to run your own email server is just a non starter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad situation. And I want to remind everyone that until recently, it didn't matter where you were hosting your email, right? And it's still to some degree the case, right? If you're at Microsoft, you can e- email with users on Google. If you're at Google, you can email with people on other systems. This is not the case with chat. This is not the case with file sharing. This is not the case with video calls. Why? Because, of course, that's not what the big tech firms want. They want control. They want to be able to... Well, they want to be able to squeeze money out of you. Let's be honest, that's in the end the key point. So they want your data, they want your communication, they want your friends' address books. And that's why everybody has five chat apps on their phone. Not because it's better for the user, because it's better for the big tech firms, because they're trying to monetize you. Anyhow, and I mean, for just to be clear, I have nothing against monetizing. I mean, we're a business too. You know, we want to be able to pay the salaries of people who make Nextcloud better. So there's nothing wrong with that per se. I would like to do it by providing a service that people like to pay for, not by forcing them because we have the data hostage. And this is the situation a lot of companies and people are in. So, yeah, there's an issue there. Absolutely. And like, uh, for instance, I like that you bring up the the aspect of not being able, uh, being at the whim of companies. Dropbox, for instance, has changed its product pivoting many times. They started file syncing and they have been expanding, expanding. And I, I've read from some different users on the internet who are a little bit more perturbed. I mean, I'll admit I'm a little perturbed. One reason why I'm looking for a different one is it, it's become not what I was intending it for it to be. And an- another story, Google Drive quietly introduced a file creation limit on their paid plans. Didn't tell anybody. That is one difference you won't find in Nextcloud. Nextcloud is not going to quietly do something like that. I mean, I mean it, would, it would be up to your instant Oh, it admin. could, but it'll take about five minutes for somebody to patch it out. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, stuff, it's, again, it's stuff like that, that like the control, because I'm, I'm trying to actually get data out of stuff. That's a, a whole different aside. But if it was Nextcloud, I could, I, I could easily migrate the data out if I, if I ever needed to. Yeah. Absolutely. And and Dropbox is a prime example of pulling the rug out from under people when they started changing. Oh, you're only allowed so many devices to connect to your free account now. And, you know, oh, and we're going to ruin this really, what was on the Mac, and Jay, you'll remember this, what was oh, yeah. a really beautifully integrated, simple, no burden, you know, like got out of your way, syncing client to become a bloated piece of garbage. And I'm I'm really sorry that is the case with Dropbox. On the other hand, and again, not to, you know, not saying it's just because Josh is here, but the next cloud sync agent is it's unobtrusive. It works on everything, like Linux, Mac, um, Windows. 
it really is well built. One, one of the things I just wanted to ask you about when you talked about sort of monetizing, is it fair that because the services that you people do pay for you, are they more on the, on the sort of a migration and the consultancy and the support side because you're not offering hosting? So is it more on... Yeah, more on the... Well, so when we started, I mean, over the years, we've tried tons of ways um, to find, you know, a business model so we can pay people salaries. Um, and so at times we've tried things like, I don't know, hardware, and we thought about hosting and other things. But we felt, especially with monetizing private users, I mean, first of all, you're competing with Microsoft and Google and they have a regressive pricing model in the sense that you... With most products, if you buy more, you pay less per unit. But Microsoft and the others, they do this the other way around. So if you're a two-people business, you pay less per user per year than you pay if you're a billion-dollar company using a ton of their services. And they do that because they know that competitors start small. And this keeps them down because it makes it harder to earn money. It's a neat trick. But either way, it makes it hard because people expect everything for free Yeah, with Google you get tons of stuff for free because, you know, they're indexing your email. So Gmail gives you gigabytes of free storage. Um, Dropbox had this model where, you know, they gave a couple of gigs away for free and then tried to upsell you later on. Uh, tough making money, I believe, but even then. So we said, look, let's just make this for home users free and let's try and focus on the bigger installations. Because the thing is, if you run Nextcloud for 5,000 users, it's a whole different ballpark, right? I mean, yes, Nextcloud works uh, on a Raspberry Pi with SQLite, but you can't take that and deploy it for 5,000 users. That no. requires different skills, different you know, level of expertise. And of course, if you have a problem with your private Nextcloud at home and there's a bug and you know the share is not available and it takes a week for people on the forums to help you and find out what the problem is, swap, you know? If that happens when you're a billion-dollar company and those are your financial reports, <laughs> I mean... You know, it's a different conversation you're going to have them if your IT department uh, and heads are going to roll. So if you're in that IT department and you thought, let's just download this free thing from the internet and run it for 5,000 employees, see what happens to your employment security the moment something goes wrong with that system. Yeah? Why don't you get our, well, we call it a product. It's Nextcloud Enterprise and it's Nextcloud plus our services support help you get it up and running. We get you um, long-term security support, huh? just like Ubuntu's LTS, more or less. Normally, Nextcloud, you have to upgrade regularly. I know most home users do that anyway. I personally, I usually update with the, the second RC to a new you know, upcoming release because I just want to use and see the new stuff. If you're a bank, you don't want to see the new stuff at least for a decade. You know what I mean? <laughs> Different kind of way of working. And so they are happy to pay for long-term support. If you're a university, again, you're running this for 100,000 students maybe. So first, downtime costs, costs you more money. Two, you want to be able to schedule your updates in advance and know what's coming. You want the workaround, the temporary workaround, etc. These are all the things that we provide as kind of a bundle. So it's kind of the Red Hat model. You know, you have Fedora, which is moving fast, which is perfect for home users. You have Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Are there technical differences between them? Kind of, but it's not like there are features on Red Hat Enterprise Linux, like, oh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux has, I don't know, Office document editing and Fedora doesn't. No, there are no feature differences at that level. The products are the same at a feature level, but one is optimized for enterprise, one is optimized for 
home users. And this model has been working pretty well for us. The way we do it is we try to optimize Nextcloud so that if you're 10, 20, 50, even 200 users, small company, you know, you don't really need us. It'll run quite fine. Uh, if you want, we have a subscription, but it really only starts at 100 users um, simply because we think our product should be good enough for 50 users or, or 70 users. You know, most small businesses should do just fine. But when you get to hundreds and thousands of users, then you get to a point where it's better for you and us, us because then we can pay people's salary to make Nextcloud better, you because you have a more reliable experience, you have the security, etc. You know, so it's a win-win. And that's kind of what we're trying to build. And it's working fairly well. And, and we see that very similar model with, uh, and I love to call out other examples of where this works, is with NetGate, who make PFSense. NetGate offer the community yeah. edition of PFSense completely free. You can get support. You can run, you know, you can get PFSense Plus uh, as a subscription. They've got hardware that they do as well. Now, one question before we talk a little bit more about what, because we're really hitting some of the nails here, what makes NextCloud unique? What makes it stand out from a from a crowd? But one thing I just what we wanted to touch on a little bit is you talked about being able to deploy it. Now, there's something that we've seen going around, or rather seen you mention. I just wanted to clarify, NextCloud Hub, is NextCloud Hub a separate product or is that just a name for the whole suite? Is, is that something that we've missed in our, in our no, research? That's the last point. It's the, um, it's the whole thing. So as I said, we went through an evolution as a company and community because, again, we're a very open company that we started with FileSync and Share. But then, yeah, it was already clear in 2016, you know, that you needed video calls. So we started NextCloud Talk. Uh, early 2017. Uh, and then, you know, we have had email and calendar. They were community apps in 2016. We started to support them officially. We've been adding other apps to it since then. But in 2020, we, yeah, it was really clear that, you know, to be relevant for a lot of companies, you had to be a collaboration platform. Now, it doesn't mean every single one of our customers needs more than files. What it does mean, interestingly enough, is that they want to buy that files component from a company that can offer them the rest once, if and when they need it too. So it's kind of interesting how we have some customers who I know bought us in 2018 because we talked about having the entire collaboration suite, but until today, they're still mostly using files. So this is also a thing of like being ready for the future. A lot of companies care about that, and we are very... Well, future focus, we can talk a little bit about AI uh, later if you want. Mm. Um, so in 2020, we said, look, you know, it, it's time to make kind of a clean break with the past. Nexot is no longer just Nexot files. We call it Nexot Hub. That's why we released. Took us a little bit to figure out the versioning. I'm sorry for that, but we're now settled on a version numbering where we say, okay, Nexot Hub 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So now we are at 4 and the next will be 5. Um, that kind of resets our numbering a little bit. Underneath, it is 26. But in the end, that's relevant for a sysadmin and a techie, which is, of course, a lot of your audience, perhaps. But if you're a less te technical user, look for Nextcloud Hub 4. That's what you want. That's the whole package. And uh, that's that's what matters, basically. Thank you so much for clarifying, man. That makes a lot of sense because it's something we are going to talk about is how much power and how many community apps there are. Jay? I just want to bring up one last point just because I, I love what you mentioned about the about the cost for instance mm. i was paying 25 dollars a month for one 
Dropbox business like per, pro thing for me. J- as of right now, James and I are paying about forty dollars a month combined for Nextcloud and getting what we want. That is a huge savings in the fact that that's like, that's not just for Nextcloud. Exactly. No, no, not just for Nextcloud. That's our Linode. That, just, just uh, no. It's fine. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned because that's our entire Linode bill. That includes our Nextcloud instance and the WordPress instance for the site. And for instance, it won't go up another. It will not go up another twenty if we add another user. That's just for what we need. So what's cool is it's not like okay, another license, another user on this license. Another user on this instance won't cost us another five, 10, 20 bucks. Whereas if you mention like some of these enterprises who are having all these other cloud systems, every single user is a license. And I think, wasn't it Tom Lawrence or somebody was talking about the cost per user? Yeah. One of our guests was talking about the every company has to, when they acquire a new employee, think about how much each user costs them on all the license seats. Well, that's it. And I've been in businesses where it's literally been a case of we cannot afford to pay the licensing cost for this new starter's uh, phone system yet or for some part of the ecosystem. And so that new user ends up doing without a certain piece of functionality because it's not job essential. Whereas something like Nextcloud, you know, if you, again, if you're just a small business, all you're paying for is the server resources and the storage. And I want to move us into then what Nextcloud brings to the table. Because just one of the things you put here, and I love this phrase, is the most complete and integrated solution. Let's talk, let's loop back to files a little bit because n- this isn't possible. Nothing that Nextcloud does, well, at least on, yeah, nothing that Nextcloud does is possible without at least some form of storage. What, what can people use as storage for, for Nextcloud? I mean, it's quite a wide array of well, storage methods, really. Right, you you mean the different storage backends? Yeah, mm, yeah. I mean yeah. W- one interesting concept that we have because again, and and this comes to I mentioned earlier incentives, right? As a open source project, an open source company, we have different incentives than a big tech firm has. Uh, as a little tangent, for example, if you get a Zoom link from somebody to join in the browser, and uh, you click on the link, it tries to download the app or open the app, you know, and you go like, I don't have the app, I don't want a backdoor on my computer, please just let me in. You click, it'll say, well, but you need the app. You click on, I don't, yeah, you, you basically click try again. And after the second attempt, it shows you suddenly a little link that says, oh, but you can join by browser. My first response usually is, why didn't you say that in the first place? Well, they don't do that because they want their app on your computer and they want your data. They want access to your address book. They want access to your photos. They want access to your files. And they want, of course, your account data, your email, your password, etc. We don't have such a requirement. We don't have such a need. So if you send people a link to Nextcloud Talk for a video conversation, they join, they're in. There isn't an extra step there. And so with the file storage, you kind of have a similar thing. And Dropbox, of course, wants everybody on their storage. And they'll give you a little bit of free storage and get a little bit more if you make other people get their files on their storage as well. So they get gobble up more data and lock more people up into their platforms. And this is what all the players do. With Nextcloud, you have a very different view of things. Already really early in the beginning, we had a developer who was like, well, you know, I have files indeed on my Nextcloud server, but I have a NAS or I don't know what storage they had, but they had a different storage, which was accessible 
I'm guessing free is someone something like Samba or NFS. And so they decided to make a pluggable backend for Nextcloud. So with Nextcloud, until today, you have a choice of how and where you want to store your files. So if you have a local second directory, and this is what I had with uh, some music and private photos and other stuff on my server, instead of saying, oh, you know, I install Nextcloud and then I have to copy over all these files in there, I just say, okay, this local directory is a storage and it's an external storage in Nextcloud. It's just a folder in my private Nextcloud that's actually somewhere else. You can do the same with a NAS. You can do the same with a Samba, via Samba connection. Maybe you have an FTP drive from your university or school. You can just hook it into Nextcloud. It's a folder and it's accessible there as FTP, I would recommend. Or you protect it in another way, of course, just pure FTP. You can hook uh, S3 in there, object storage. And there is, I don't know, there's like a dozen other external storage apps. There's even a bunch of like crypto cloud storage things uh, out there. Oh, and by the way, there's also a Dropbox backend. So if you have a Dropbox account, you can mount it into Nextcloud. You just get a folder there called Dropbox. I would add underscore legacy to it, um, you know, and then you can access it from your Nextcloud. And whenever you access a file, it gets via Nextcloud to your web interface. So you can, as a company or as an individual, you can all your different places where you have storage, you can bring them all in one place in Nextcloud, sync them with your desktop client, access them on the go, mobile, share those pictures that are on your, on your NAS with your family members with a public link in the Nextcloud Gallery app and so on. So that's, I think, a really useful and powerful feature. I love, and I've forgotten about that because, of course, if it's external storage, so look, I mean, we, we've, I think we shared this up on that, my NAS that is sat in the lounge at my, my home in, um, you know, my home, <clears throat> well, everyone knows well, in, in Bournemouth. And that's sat there. Now I'm currently visiting my parents, so I don't have direct access to that NAS. But the way we've got it set up is such that we're using, uh, Tailscale. So, I can actually access from the next club. Our next club instance sat in Linode can access my TrueNAS and it just presents in the NextCloud web interface in the desktop apps as another folder. And just correct me if I'm wrong, if I choose to sync that folder down, it syncs everything that's on the NAS just to the desktop clients, right? Is that it just as if yes, it was another absolutely. folder? Absolutely. Sure, it's just a folder, yeah, it's completely abstracted away. And as a matter of fact, you can still access the original files. So if you have an FTP where you keep, I don't know, your, your podcast uh, so other people can download them, uh, you know, maybe a producer or something, right? These kind of things. They can download directly from FTP, but you drop them in there via Nextcloud and they get synced. And all you need to do is just put them in the folder in Nextcloud and the sync client will help sync them up there. And then, so you, you can have it hybrid that they are accessed indirectly or via oh, Nextcloud. Wow. And Nextcloud will occasionally check for updates, you know, um, that, as, as someone who's worked in the managed file transfer industry, that is pretty huge because people pay a fortune for tools to integrate. I, there are solutions by, and I've forgotten, but they've changed their name recently. They used to be Help Systems. I made a, made, a, made a product called Go Anywhere, and Go Anywhere was this tool for connecting mm. multiple storage backends and doing fancy things with it. Well, most of the time, people just wanted a way to have a web interface or a way to upload files into an FTP without people having to have the FTP credits. Well, Nextcloud, and I've just realized this solves that problem at no cost. Yep. 
and has been doing this since 2010 or 11 maybe wow so let's let's talk because we've talked a little bit about some of the deploy the deployments you said that, and one of the things i love is when you put when we're doing these show notes you you know as you said earlier you can scare anywhere from a raspberry pi sat at home it, assuming you can get hold of a raspberry pi at the moment folks because that's a challenge <laughs> um because yeah, exactly. I need to talk to Jeff Gre- Ge- Jeff Greeling because I'm pretty sure he's taking every single Raspberry Pi out there right now. Um, I need one for my pie hole in my place. <laughs> you do. I uh, know, right? It's ridiculous. But, you know, anywhere from a Raspberry Pi what, to, a, to a whole data center st- set of storage, you know, we're hosting ours on Linode by Akamai. But people can have, again, huge data center setups with dedicated hardware to Nextcloud. How about... One of the things that makes a, a product good is the installing experience. How how easy is it to deploy Nextcloud? Well, you know, because you're running our all-in-one, which I think is definitely taking the crown of the easiest to install and maintain solution for Nextcloud. Like, it's always been really important for us to, to make it easy to install and maintain. Uh, and that's a, quite a challenge, right? Running a server is hard. I mean, I always tell people Nextcloud is easy, but running a server is hard. So we're, we're looking at easy, but on a very hard baseline. And this is this is an unfortunate reality uh, that we can't really fully fix. But I think the all-in-one made a big step forward. So the all-in-one is like a, a single Docker image, also available as a VM, that basically, well, it's an all-in-one. It has the whole Nextcloud stack, but also full-text search and, you know, our high-performance backend for talk. Uh, so you can do video calls with a ton of people. It has Nextcloud Office built in, because the thing is, over time, we started as a LAMP application, right? Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. And we've always supported multiple databases because MySQL setting up, that's not so easy. You know, you need to create credentials. You need to create a user account. You need to create credentials again. Yeah, you can say just copy-pasting the commands from a tutorial. But what if it goes wrong? What if the tutorial is outdated? It's still a nightmare, let's be honest. I mean, I'm... I'm a reasonably technical person, but I genuinely hate running a server, you know, and whenever the SSL certificate expires, I face palm and I'm going like, ah, you know, and I have to update it again. And really it goes wrong. I'd like to say half the time, but I'm not, I'm not sure if that's being pessimistic. That might actually be optimistic. So it's, it's a nightmare. And so we try to support everything under the sun, you know, all the PHP versions, uh, even you know, super cheap online hosting where you just get a very basic old PHP version and you just drop the files in. Nexot has a special installer, which is basically one PHP file that you can put at one of these hosting companies and then you run the PHP file and it downloads all the other PHP files and installs itself there. We call it a web installer. So we tried all this stuff and it is still, you know, we still support SQLite. We still uh, support you know, the web installer and all these things. But I think today, given how easy it is to run a Docker container, even on, you know, various NAS systems and, and in online services, I think the all-in-one really is a big step forward, making it easy to get the whole thing. Because over the years, we wanted to add certain functionality. So I think one of the first things we added actually was a feature that uh, let Nextcloud Mail recognize itineraries. So, so you would get an email from your airline company and the next route mail was like, oh, you know, that's a travel itinerary. And then it would put, it would show like the content of that on top. And Google does this too. And it would allow you with one button to add the trip to your calendar. 
But for this feature, this was done using a binary C++ library, which we then wrapped in a little binary file that will be called by PHP. Well, you can't run this in some places. Mm. And then, you know, components like this, I mean, we now have face recognition and object recognition in Nextcloud. Does it send your data to a big tech company? No, it does not. It runs on your server, but you can imagine that that does not run in PHP. That's just not feasible. So a modern Nextcloud system will run without all of this. If you don't want to install a C++ little thing, if you have a very restricted setup, you can run Nextcloud. You want to have face recognition. Your video calls will be limited to about five, six people because you need these capabilities to get better performance. Your desktop client will have to ping the server every 30 seconds because it can't keep a connection up because PHP does not support that, etc. So over the years, we've been adding all these components to work around. You know, PHP is a great language, don't get me wrong, but it also has limits, of course. It has pros and cons like everything. And so we have these other components. And, you know, until the all-in-one, it was quite tricky to, like, you could get a basic Nextcloud setup and it would be okay and it would work. But then people were like, yeah, but I want Office document editing. Well, you need to install LibreOffice on your server. That's not trivial. Um, okay, I'd, I'd like to get these video calls with a ton of people. Well, good luck opening the right ports on your server. You know what I mean? Like, this is a whole dance and, and you know, that you needed to do. I personally was a nightmare for me to get this document server installed. It was a separate Docker container you had to install and then open and connect the right ports and then enter the details into the config file of Nextcloud. And then, you know, you could edit your document. Uh, and we tried to make it easier. At one point, we installed, we created a app in our app store that was called um, the, the document server or something. Uh, and what it would do is it would download a big binary blob and then run that locally on your server and then do all this configuration for you, basically. So instead of having a separate Docker thing that you had to install, if your server was an x86 system and it had enough permissions and power, you would just have to go in the App Store, click, it would download, it was a big file, but it would work out of the box. This was a step forward, but again, it still didn't scale well, right? This doesn't work for 200 users because it's this one binary blob that has been called from PHP with times out every now and then. So it is tricky to build software that offers you the functionality of Microsoft and Google, trillion dollar companies, and do that in a way that runs on Raspberry Pi and is easy to install and maintain. I still think we did and do a good job, but the all-in-one, I must say, takes a lot of pain away because all this fancy stuff is in there. It's maintained by us. It updates automatically. Uh, you have a lot less of a headache there. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to how easy is Nexus to install, I would say, yeah, Nexus is easy, but running a server continues to be relatively hard. But I think the Docker image has a pretty decent job there. Sorry, it's a very long answer. No, no, it, it's been great for us, Jake, because I know you've you've done a bit of main, uh, admin work on our server. Yeah, so I, I've, I've been in charge of, uh, of like, updating the, the whenever the AIO comes out. And something interesting I found out when I was reading through, I think it was either the GitHub or the community forum, that the AIO is about one or two minor versions behind the big releases to make sure there's no issues. So like like ne- the most recent Nexa update that, that came out for Hub is not currently on AIO because there, but it's 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 coming. 
but there's a way to get if you do the beta channel. I was like, that's actually pretty cool that 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 you think through also the release timing, even for a home user who uses AIO, you're not going to be oh, getting yeah. immediately bugs instantly. No, no. We, we've had actually a really cool uh, concept called release channels for a very long time. So even if you were running the zip file yourself, you had a choice whether you were running the beta or the stable channel. And if you were on the beta channel, you would get the latest or whatever it was that we had available, including actual betas release candidates. But if you were running the stable channel, when a new version of Nexart would come out, we would wait uh, until we felt fairly confident that it was stable. But not just that, we do incremental rollouts. So we would start a rollout with 20% of our user base. We would see what comes in via GitHub. No problems. We add another 20% a week later. And so we would do stage rollouts. We've been doing this for, I don't know, uh, six years, I think. Since 2016, we have a new, much better installer that allows us to do these stage rollouts. And so with the all-in-one, it's a little bit similar. So you get the minor releases very quickly because they are bug fix security updates. And of course, you wouldn't want to wait with those. But the, um, the major releases, you only get after a while. However, if you download the latest one and install it, we're not talking about an upgrade here, but just a fresh install, you immediately get the latest version. That's how we do it. So that if you uh, want to try out Nextcloud or you download it, you just get it from a website and you get the latest version. But if you're still running and you're happy with it, of course, the last thing you want to do is break your system. So we are extra careful there and we wait a little bit uh, with rolling out these updates. And I was imp- I've been impressed at how easy the AI updater has been to update all the stuff and like and to even turn on and off the, the optional components like Nextcloud Office, Talk, and things like that. So like, it, and and I like how you explain to people if you enable these, you're going to want to increase server resources to, to manage. And thank yeah. you for adding backups into the AIO page. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, we have half a million servers out there, and we have to take responsibility for that. There aren't a lot of open source projects that are running half a million servers on the internet. I mean, you mentioned one. WordPress certainly does, but I mean, they also take extraordinary care of their updates and security and other stuff. And so we have to do the same because we are just responsible for a ton and really a ton of home users. And still, of course, people encounter issues. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm very much aware that it's it's never perfect, and people bump into problems. Um, but with these state rollouts and other things that we do, we try to make sure that, you know, it, it stays limited to a small group of people. I always have to focus on like what will help the most people uh, because, yeah, it, it's like an iPhone versus like, um, I don't know, uh, Nokia or something where, yeah, of an iPhone 14, there are so many more phones out there that if you Google, you will find way more people complaining about a problem with their phone but if you actually look at the percentage of people who have a problem with it, it's probably going to be far smaller than of any specific Nokia phone because they're releasing 20 models a, a week and, you know, they have a smaller user base to begin with. So we have a bit of that, that, you know, there will be tons of people who have issues and, you know, it can be tricky sometimes for us to find out like, hey, is this actually common? You know, like, are there actually 500 servers with this problem? because five people complain because like you get always a percentage, right? What you're seeing is a sample of the half a million servers out there. You never are entirely sure how big a problem is. So this is a bit of a tricky thing. And so people often say like, Oh, 
you know, why aren't you doing a stabilization because I see a bug here or a bug there. It's like, yeah, you see that bug. And there might be three other servers out there, but there are 497,000 something something servers out there who don't have these problems and who are waiting for a feature improvement or another improvement. And we always have to balance these two. Mm. And this, this is quite a difficult dance, I must say. There's a constant back and forth between the community, you know, and us saying like, well, are you prioritizing the right things? You know, aren't you doing features, features, features? Are you focusing on, you know, the base of Nextcloud? Well, the thing is, the base of Nextcloud is also one of these things, you know. You, too, are using, like, files, Nextcloud text. I'm guessing you consider those two pretty basic. Yeah. There are plenty of people who think Nextcloud text is useless. Can't you make Office better? Other people will use DEC. There are people who use Talk a lot who don't care much about files. So it's it's kind of been interesting for me also to to see how hard it is to balance these different needs between different people. Of course, the end result is, I guess, to some degree, everybody's a little unhappy, at least the noisy ones. But I think by and large, we do a fairly decent job there. You do. And it's interesting, but I love the way we just led into, because Jay, I know you want to talk about the the plethora of apps that are available, not just Nextcloud sort of native and supported, but the community size. But I just want to quickly touch on two of the core, the other core features. We've spent a lot of time talking about files. I want to touch on talk and Nextcloud Office because although we've got them disabled on our server, just because for, we are running, this is running on a one gig Linode instance. So this is purely designed for file storage. It works. But we know that, you know, if we wanted to run talk now uh, more, we would have to increase server resources. Actually, that's a really good question. What, you know, to let's say, for example, you wanted, uh, a, you know, talk, text, files, what for that full, you know, almost like a full suite what would you say on a, on a cloud hosting is about minimum? Because uh, you're not going to run Talk and Office for more than maybe a couple of users. Yeah. So what what would you say is an ideal ideal server to get? Ref- I want to say like the full fat Nextcloud experience. What would you say people should be looking at? Oh man, this is this is getting. <laughs> the thing is, the world is changing very fast. We've all seen ChatGPT. And so we are also working on AI features, but I think we should touch on this where we're trying to do this in a way that is responsible. Let me put it that way. Um, and this is tricky because these networks are freaking huge, you know, these um, neural nets, and they're heavy, really heavy of compute. Uh, a gig of RAM is nothing anymore. Um, so we have this uh, Recognize app, but we are also have integrated Whisper for voice recognition. And... You, you have some specially tuned versions of these networks that are a little bit smaller, you know, um, that are capable of running in like one or two gigs of RAM, but they're not the best models. If you want the best models, you're looking at eight gigs of RAM. And wow, that's already a pretty big instance, right? Eight gigs of RAM. So it is very tricky to give a general answer to that because if you really are saying full fat, does that mean you want the image and object recognition, you want voice recognition, you know, you want dictation or translation. I mean, great features, but they eat a ton of RAM, especially when they're, you know, running heavily. I mean, we try to be smart, right? We're not going to run recognize in parallel on 20 images eating up a terabyte of RAM. That would be pretty nuts. But even then, if you do it, you know, serial, it's eating a lot of RAM. And so, again, full fat, it's 
sky's the limit. I mean, if you really want to be able to use all those fancy AI stuff and more is coming in the upcoming releases, because again, the world is moving on and we try to keep up uh, or even run ahead in some places, then, yeah, then four to eight gig of RAM is quite nice. If you say, look, I just want um, file sync and share. I want to edit a text document. I want to edit an office document. I want to have a video call with a couple of people then two to four gigs of RAM will serve you fine. It's really the new AI stuff that's, that's blowing up servery. So it's more RAM than CPU at the moment, although we're also getting to a point that if you run this for 5,000 people, you might want to put a couple of GPUs in there to accelerate the AI stuff, etc. Because again, you know, we try to do as much as possible on-prem, and that's pretty hefty on the resource. Absolutely. So before we go into more of the apps, I just wanted to quickly make sure that I've got this right and what we are sort of pitching. So next cloud talk is uh, for all intents and purposes, it's chat, uh, audio and video. It's a fa- Would it be fair to describe next cloud talk as an open source and under your control instance of teams or Google meet? Is it really that simple? I would say so, absolutely. Um, of course, we started it before Microsoft had Teams. It was more uh, around Slack and Zoom. Uh, there were the platforms back then. But yeah, this is this is effectively what it is. So think of like Slack with video calls, Google Hangout perhaps back in the day. Um, it's really for team collaboration. I mean, we use it internally in the company, of course, you know, tons of channels, um, public links. We use that for, for well... Webinars, right? If you join a webinar Ooh. from Nextcloud, it's running on Nextcloud Talk. So, you know, we do this with tons of people. Um, yeah, that's that what it interests is. me because I, what uh, one of my previous jobs used to be running webinars, and if I could have run mm. a Nextcloud instance, I could have really saved the money on our on our Zoom and Go to Webinar. Well, we just in- introduced um, uh, breakout rooms and recording. So those oh, are oh my wow. goodness. Wow. Finishes things off. Yes. Just okay. to put this into context, what Jay's saying is so crucial. And one of the things that, um, that Jos touched on earlier is when you have, so I know, for example, when I've been doing job interviews until I got this job, and Jay, I know you're interviewing for a lot of stuff at the moment. Every organization seems to want to have a different, you know, video platform that they want to use. And as I didn't, by the way, even know that it was an option to use oh, a web. That's out there. It really is. And I didn't even know until you just mentioned it on our podcast that Zoom have a web interface. I assumed they didn't yes. because they yeah, don't. Yeah, but that's because they want to hide it, right? What? They want yeah, to force you into getting their app and installing their backdoor in your system. I, I, I knew about that going because I've done tech support for the webinars to get people onto our, our calls and all that. But yeah, oh my God. Now, I want to say if we ever do an enable talk on our system, I want to call it Allo, Crossfire's Allo. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> just just name each every time we restart it. Just name it after a different failed Google messaging product. <laughs> yes, just as Crosswires Hangouts. Yeah, Crosswires Hangouts <laughs> one right, week. Right, right. Yeah, Crosswires. Uh, didn't they make at some point? They wanted to make Babel, right? This tool yes. that would like bring all their different failed projects into one. It's a hilarious situation that such a company can't get their act together. And- wow. Google, 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 Google Talk, which was an XMPP. XMPP, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a while. Uh, Facebook, and, too, by the way. 
That's oh, really? right. Oh, right. Yes. Well, when you're small as a big tech firm with something, you're all about the open standards and interoperability. Until you get big, then you don't want anybody connected to your platform, do you? This is the problem of not open source, right? Because we can't do these kind of shenanigans because guess what? People can patch it out, fix yeah, it. it. It's one of the concerns about the Fediverse, some of these big companies mm. joining in, are they going to be like Google and embrace it? But that's a whole different thing. Uh, but what I do want to talk if about... If we let them get too big, eh, this is what happened to email. I mentioned it earlier. This is exactly what happened to email. We, as collectively, as world, let Google and Microsoft get too big. And now a normal person can't run their own private mail server anymore. You could 20 years ago. You could 10 years ago. Today, barely possible. And that's our fault because we all collectively thought that Gmail is awesome. And by the way, that includes me, early adopter Same. of Gmail. Yep, I loved too. it. It was wonderful. This is what it, where it got us to. Well, I mean, um, we, the three yeah. of us will be, will be, will fond, fondly remember when Gmail still had a beta label attached to it. Oh, oh yes. You know? Oh, I know. I didn't we feel fancy, you know? But, uh, Good old t- days. I signed up in April 2004. <laughs> I think, yeah. But going, uh, going back to this accessibility of Nextcloud Talk, I just want to touch on this a little bit because it's so powerful to have that tool set in your own business and not to force people to sign up to yet another app. I assume yep. that everything can be done through the web. I know that you have iOS apps, but everything's just web-based for NextCloud Talk, right? It's web-first. We are building a desktop client, but it's better. So, yeah, it's absolutely web-first. Uh, but we try and make sure that when we release something in the web, it's also in the apps or at least within you know a couple of weeks. But generally, features are developed in the web interface first. And NextCloud has SSO support. So you can mm. integrate it with your existing um, authentication system. Mm. And I'm like, that is brilliant. Absolutely. Now, I, I love this again, folks. If you are a small business, I really hope that you're looking, listening to this episode because, I, I mean, look, I'll be very honest. I've been doing some work recently for, for a tech help client, and he's a lovely guy. But his whole workflow, because he's so embedded, has been in 365. He's now tried to do collaborative work with someone else. The hoops we're having to jump through to get him to be able to collaborate on their server, we're having to pay for another license. On their server for him, we're going to have to set it up on his machine as a separate OneDrive instance, separate email. It's just, whereas with Nextcloud, we could just do everything through Nextcloud. And actually... That kind of brings me on to the next key core other component I want to talk about before we get into the apps. And I, I'm loving this discussion, by the way, folks. I, I really hope you all are too. Um, NextCloud Office, which, I mean, let's just be really clear. It is a collaborative document. Now, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, word processing, spreadsheets, and uh, presentations, all online, all collaborative. And graphics like ODG, so like vector graphics editing as well. I uh, can use it a little bit as basic whiteboarding if you want. And that's also collaborative. So it's, it's spreadsheet, presentation, documents, and that. And this is all based on top of uh, the open document format. So it's based on, you mentioned earlier, LibreOffice. Now, I do have one question, one question that's been burning in my mind. With the Microsoft Office desktop apps, you can, if you're connected up to Office 365, you can collaborate on the document in those desktop apps. Can I mean, obviously, you wouldn't see the changes live, I assume, but there is, what, is there a way to have that sort of desktop uh, collaboration experience in Nextcloud at the moment, or is it because of the nature of having to integrate with 
something like LibreOffice? Is it just confined to the web? For, for, for so what we've done, uh, because the way LibreOffice in the browser, uh, Collabor Online, um, it's, it's Collabor who builds this. The way it works is it runs one session, one document is open on the server, and every user uh, has a cursor, but it's actually there's only one instance, one server running. And what it does in the browser is it streams the rendered document. It streams it as little compressed images to your browser, who then caches it to make it all feel smooth. So the rendering happens on the server. Um, benefit is most of the resource heavy work is done on the server. It's pretty light on your client. So it doesn't, yeah, it, it all depends on the server. All the heavy work is done there. If you have a slow client on uh, your mobile phone, it'll still be smooth because all the heavy work is being done for you, saves your battery life. On the other hand, it's, it's a bit of data traffic, obviously, that, that happens there. Also, document never leaves your server, like actually, physically. All that leaves your server are images. And, you know, if you watermark those images, it's not that somebody can take a dump of the browser and decode the document in there because it's in the browser being rendered. No, no, no. It is on the server, only gets ever rendered there. And if you put in watermarks, they're put there on the server. They can't just trivially be removed with a little bit of CSS or other trickery. So that, that's a little bit of security advantage as well. The original document can never be copied uh, or taken out or anything like that. But of course, you see the problem then if you have a second desktop client running, like it's fundamentally built around there's a single instance. Right. So only if your client is an actual, just a client to that instant does it work. And the desktop version, of course, is a standalone product. So what we have done, because at the same time, I totally see where you're going with, you're looking for this integration between desktop and browser, right? Mm. So we've done two things. The first thing we did already like two years ago is that in the browser, if you're in a folder where you have your document synced with the desktop client, and if you're on Windows and soon on Mac, you can use the virtual files feature so you don't even have the files need to have the files synced because they will all be visible and only when you're actually you know when you click a file does it get downloaded and then it gets cached for a while this is coming soon to mac it's currently already for windows linux is a little bit harder because there's no standard for this but we hope we can get there as well so you right click on the file and there's an option that says open a browser and so It'll just open a browser, either a tab or a full window, and you're immediately in Nextcloud Office and you're editing the document real-time in the browser. So I know I just, that's not the desktop client, that's literally the browser, but the integration is pretty close to, to what you would do in the desktop, right? You would click a file and then it opens. Here you have to right-click and say open a browser, and then you have it. Hmm, I'm wondering if you could set the desktop client to open doc, uh, docx and ODT files, and if it would then open them in the browser. That's that. That's a thought that might or might not work. I don't know. Either way, that's that's one side of this. But what if you're in the browser, um, and let me make it a little harder. Let's say you have a uh, Microsoft Office document, and this has stuff like local links to other documents on your desktop. Yeah, this isn't going to work. Right, you can open it in the browser. And next, that office might be able to render it correctly, but it doesn't have access to these other files. So, what do you do if you're in Nextcloud Office? There's a button on the top left that has this little like like it's kind of a well, I, I don't know. It's an icon, uh, a square with an arrow. Uh, you click it. It says, "Do you want to open this file locally?" And what it then will do if you say yes is that it saves the file, syncs it to your desktop, locks it, 
opens it in whatever application you have running locally on your desktop. That can be LibreOffice, but it can also be Microsoft Office. You edit. When you're done, you save the file. You close it. The file gets saved, synced back to your cloud, and then unlocked. Wow. And that's super cool. Even better, if you're in the files view and you have an MP3 file that you want to edit in your local audio editor, Nexon doesn't have an audio editor, click on the three-dot menu, open locally. It'll lock the file, sync it back to your desktop client, opens in your local audio editor, your wave editor, or whatever you want to use, works with Photoshop files, obviously, and other stuff. You edit it. When you're done, files get synced back, unlocked, and you're back to work. So no, you will not have clashes with other people who edit the file. Yes, you have it locally there on your desktop. This is a feature I absolutely love. It's just awesome. That is phenomenal. And look, I I, I, we've loved... We, we did some testing, so we... We tried, Jay, do you, do you remember when we tried to do the charity streams and we needed a way to sync a, just a simple text file, yep. which just had a, a, a new um, currency value in it. It just told people how much we'd raised. We tried doing that on iCloud and we tried letting that sync. No, the lag was ridiculous. I will say NetCloud sync engine, when you're dealing with shared folders and the flexibility, we could spend so long talking about this, but I want to just say... Well, it works. It's solid. We were live streaming. I was like, I, I was streaming a game. Yes. And you updated the background image I used and instantly <laughs> it changed while I was streaming within a second. I mean, that, <laughs> that shows. How- it's really quick. Yeah. So this, this is, this is two things coming together. Like you have a desktop client who, when it notices a change locally, it like syncs that one first, you know? So your change going from local to the service is going really quick. And the other thing that is working here, and this is, by the way, that only works if you have the all-in-one or you set up things again locally, because as I mentioned earlier, PHP as a technology is just not able to keep a constant connection open. So push notifications are technically not possible with PHP, but we have what we call the high-performance backend for files, which is a little demon. I think it's written in Rust because, you know, fancy new languages. We have a Go component as well, so that we cover both bases there. And this little Rust daemon basically keeps this constant connection open to your client. So that if you have this running, so you use all in one, you have it by definition. Uh, your client is constantly connected. And so when this file changes and is updated, the service also starts to download pretty much right away. So notifications, somebody's calling you on Nexar Talk, for example, comes in right away. New files that are changed are uploaded right away, and as soon as they're done uploaded, they get downloaded right away. So the time between this has been cut from like the average of 15 seconds because you check every 30 seconds to basically, I don't want to say zero because there's a time associated with that uploading and downloading, of course. But yeah, it's, it's pretty fast these days. And that's really nice because, again, self-hosted works just as nicely as the big tech firms. Absolutely. So Jay, I'm gonna let you let I'm gonna let you loose on your little love affair with Nextcloud apps because the number of times I've come into our instance and Jay has installed something new for us to try out. And I have been look, there's certain things that we already have tools like so being very honest, like <laughs> Nextcloud does have a password management option. There is a password Nextcloud passwords. Two, we no three. Three. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, I know. One key pass integration and two independently developed uh internal password managers. Wow. So you have an option between three. Might be too much choice. 
No, well, we use something else, but in fact, it's there. Let's talk about some of your experiences, Jay, of get of, look, of finding little gems in the in the Nextcloud App Store. Maybe we can get some uh, some questions answered by Joss as well. And I'm going to preface this by saying that I now talk with James before we install apps, and <laughs> especially if they're not Nextcloud featured apps, for instance. Right, mm-hmm. I'm. Might have had to restore an entire backup of an instance because I installed. But that, but anyway, what we're trying to get to is that Nextcloud is is not only what's made by, by Nextcloud, but like users again can can either do commits to GitHub or they can develop their own apps, add it to the marketplace. And I know yeah. some of the upcoming updates in Next and Nextcloud Hub. A few of them are like our apps in the marketplace, like like the the picker yeah. and some of the AI things. And what's cool is people can develop apps. There are some really cool apps out there. There's like one for budgeting. There's one I know for integration with again with SSO. Um, there's a few different encryption apps. I, I, we're using one. I, I I and I don't know which one we're using, but we're using different ones. Uh, Deck, which with that collaboration stuff is does what we needed with with trello so we've actually been able to drop trello um and it's just it's incredible how much you can add to it so like if you have an idea for something you can either hire a developer to code and i'm gonna guess that there are probably some there are probably some instances with custom built apps that are not public but they're for a specific case for that company probably yeah i mean we we maintain a couple of apps for some customers as well uh very specific things you know like an internal you know authentication system that has been cobbled together for the last 30 years in a big company and then you know that has to integrate nobody else has something like it so we maintain it just for them this kind of stuff happens indeed but there's a whole ton of things indeed. I mean, you already mentioned like the, the budget manager. There's also a cookbook app. Uh, there's a healthcare app, you know, where you can track all kinds of health things, um, uh, you know, from your um, period to, to running and to your weight and these things. But there's also a ton of integration apps, you know, where you can have like uh, other things like Big Blue Button um, or, or, or other mail apps or I don't know, there's somebody who made an app to make the corners unrounded because they like their square corners of the buttons. And so they made an app that makes them square instead of rounded. So, you know, there's a plethora of apps ranging from tiny, you know, things to like automatically changing backgrounds. There's an app, it's called Keep and Sweep. Um, Yes. uh, That is just so cool. It shows you a random file of your Nextcloud server and then you get like two options, keep it or delete it. <laughs> and one of the developers basically put two buttons, like two hardware buttons, USB buttons, you know, one of these big red oh, yeah. buttons. And then you, you go at a conference, he would put his laptop and then with these files and then you had the two buttons and then you go keep, sweep, sweep, keep, 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 sweep. It's just awesome. It makes cleaning up such a fun thing, you know. Oh, so there's like tons that. of crazy creative apps. Yeah. And like one app we use is we ha- we have one that, that that creates a unique share link for some of our um text and markdown documents. So for instance, our Twitch bot. And that you can name the links you mean. It, well, yeah, yeah, and, and we can track and, and we can make one like more than just the the one shared link, but we can make like like multiple. We can so like our Twitch bot for instance does a call to our text box to our text files 
And then that way we have our own paste bin all on Nextcloud. So like a, f- a few of our text nice. files we pull in and it, it's just, it's incredible what I've seen. And there's something that I, I, I would want to try to install. <laughs> that's why, that's why James had to be like, Jay, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried uh, the forms app yet? Oh yes. The form. I, I think we're going to be looking at that one at some point for a few things. Cause like we have polls installed cause we're going to be like, using polls for like, right. and polls stuff is like quite that. nice. We now have that also built into Nextcloud talk. So you can do a very simple poll, but oh, wow. the polls app is, is quite nice for just a doodle style poll. But yeah. The forms app is a bit more of like a Google forms kind of things where you can really, you know, do an extensive survey and things like that. Yeah. People are building the craziest stuff. I really, I really like it. It's it's a nice, important part of Nextcloud, I would say. What I love is all of the URLs are are able to be controlled on a domain you host. So either like if if we're doing it like like on our WAN, we have a a a, a WAN accessible um, Nextcloud, but you could also put one like like internally on on your LAN mm. and, and do all that stuff as well. And yeah. the the data only goes to you doesn't go to anybody else so like google can't be checking all that all the data and you connect can connect instances huh? so we have a federation feature uh as well with nextcloud so if you have a private nextcloud uh and i don't know your parents have a private nextcloud um once you share one file uh, depending on your settings um like if you share a file to say your dad and your dad then receives the file share and on the top right he can enter the url of his own private nextcloud uh, to add that file to his Nextcloud. So it will then just be a shared file like you were both on the same server. If he does that and you both have this feature enabled, the two instances will exchange address book. So the next time you're typing the name of your mom, it'll autocomplete. You just hit enter and your mom just gets a pop-up notification. A file was shared just like if your dad had shared it and you're acting like you're on the same Nextcloud instance. That's cool. That's very yeah, cool. I know. And can so I mean you mentioned a use case earlier with the you know the the public facing and the private. Can you do sort of a you know can you talk Nextcloud to Nextcloud in terms of saying okay once these files are dropped here dro- drop them off to this internal Nextcloud? I take it you've got functionality and so we have automation. So there's a whole bunch of automation features in Nextcloud that can ultimately do stuff like when a file is dropped in this folder, run this script. Um, so the ultimate power is there to do these kind of things, but also simpler things, you know, like you can have a folder. If somebody puts a file in there, you get a notification in a specific chat room with the name of the file or something like that. So you can keep an eye on, you know, people uploading files in that folder. For example, if you have a public link where people can upload, I don't know, uh, 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 screenshots of a game and you're doing a live show, then you'll get an extra talk notification whenever somebody would drop a file in that Upload and um, you can also automate things like um, there's there's security element uh, here too because you can also uh, create an automation that blocks access to files. So you can say, hey, when somebody accesses a file out of this IP range between nine in the evening and six in the morning, uh, and they're not in this and this group, then deny access to the file. So even though you share a public link, if the public link leaks people will still not be able to actually download the file. So you can also use this as kind of a file firewall. That's fantastic. That's very cool. Yeah, the automation features are pretty powerful. There's a ton of stuff you can do with them. You can, you know, um, 
uh, add tags to files, and then you can act on tags. So you can have a PDF converter when you take a docx file that is from a certain group of users, uh, and you tag it with PDF, then it gets automatically converted to the PDF, and the PDF gets put in that same folder. Like all these kind of features are there as well. Oh, that would have been so helpful at my at a former job where I was updating the the company website with the updated employee manuals. That would have made it so simple. Have it have a SFTP or whatever secure connection to the to there, and it's oh right because it works with that. Right, this can be in an external storage, so this can be actually on an FTP, and somebody uploads a file. The file stuff moves it around. Maybe there's an approval process that needs to be put in place. So somebody first needs to tag it with approved. And once it's tagged with approved, get turned into a PDF and the PDF gets put in that specific folder, which means it's on FTP and is now available on the website. These kind of things can be automated completely. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't even know if you can do so. Half of that stuff, even with like Dropbox, I mean, without some serious, and some of those you know, would require some external, like, like, APIs and integrations runs a lot of this. Right. And this runs, this stays all on your server. So you need to, don't need to introduce or give like uh, admin access to five external services to automate certain things for you. You know, like you don't need to give a third party root access to your Dropbox server either. You can just do it yourself on your next cloud. Wow. That is so cool. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The one thing that I wanted to bring up because I was impressed when. All of the stuff about AI was coming out. You seem like one of the only software companies that was like, hey, we're going to be adding AI, but let's really think about the ethics and about the implications of using the AI. It, that AI is not bad by itself, but there's a lot of things we got to think about. So there's a blog article that I definitely recommend everybody check out. It's And it's, it's on your blog about ethical AI. And you have like a rating system and and like like some of the questions you bring bring up are like privacy and security of user data, discrimination and biases, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And like energy usage, uh, do you want to, do you want to speak more on that? Yeah, I mean AI is of course huge, and so in the previous releases we've been adding AI features, and that's well that's important, you know, like face recognition, other things, and you know for the first couple of, of releases where we added some AI. It's already been like two years that we added a neural network that gets trained on your login data and completely on your server. It trains on your login data. And if you're suddenly traveling and you know, you're logging from a different place, it'll give you a warning, which is fine. You're traveling. It should be fine. But if that would have been a login from China while well, you were actually in Europe and just having a normal office day, Maybe you want to be worried about that. You want to say, okay, that's not me. Let me change my password. So we've been, we've introduced this feature already years ago. Another thing we've been training a neural network on again on your own server was email. So we made a smart inbox and next up mail and it trains on your emails, you know, which ones are the ones you reply to a lot. And it puts these in, 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 a, in your uh, uh, smart inbox, I, I think it's called. Uh, so that, you know, you have your most important emails hopefully on top. And we made this a little smarter, by the way, in the last release, basically also training it on the title of emails, the subject line. Uh, that really seems to help a ton. And then, of course, we had the face recognition that we introduced uh, two releases back, I believe, already last year, which was really cool, right? Object and face recognition, all of this running on your server. And this re- uh, required, as I mentioned earlier, a pretty big amount of memory, but it works pretty nice. But then... 
yeah, since November last year or so, you have this this whole explosion of new AI technologies. And, you know, well, on one hand, I mean, they give incredible opportunities for, for being more productive, you know, come up with five possible titles for, you know, my podcast about subject X, you know what I mean? This is super helpful. And there are lots of ways in, in, in which this can help you make your day more productive. But at the same time, most of these services at Delhi, for example, it's great, but it's an online service and you are giving away your prompt and, 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 you know, your creativity to them. Uh, with ChatGPT, it's, of course, even worse. That's why tons of, of big companies have already banned the use of this. Mm. You're, you're giving away tons of internal data, you know. Oh, make this email to management sound more professional. In the meantime, you just give away an email to management, which is going to be used as training data for the next round and might be pooped out at some point in its entirety by the networkers. Gosh, nobody really knows what these things are doing. And they do sometimes poop out very specific pieces of text. So there are tons of problems with these things. And at the same time, we want to give people access to them. So we had quite a bit of discussion and we have some people in our company. I mean, we have a ton of people from activist community in our company, but also people from academic side who um, are pretty smart and, and have good ideas of like what's the right thing on how to do these things. Uh, but also externally, like we talked um, uh, with people at FOSDEM, the, the, the European uh, big tech event, a big open source event in Brussels every year. Uh, we talked to a ton of people. And in the end, we said, okay, you know, we cannot say we limit the next release to only on-prem stuff like we had been doing until, you know, yeah, until last year, basically. It was clear that we need to, to give people at least the option to, to do the other stuff. But then if we just integrate this stuff, you know, and the first time you connect Nexo to the internet, it's, it's sharing tons of stuff out of the box, you know, with third-party web services. This is not what we are about. This cannot be the default. Um, and it cannot even just happen just because somebody installs an app. So we said, okay, we, we need to bring transparency. That's the least we can do. And also the most we can do kind of, because I mean, we can't, of course, build an alternative to ChatGPT either. I mean, we do a lot of stuff, but we can't do everything, right? We already established that email servers are out of our <laughs> capacity, and this <laughs> certainly is too. Uh, I think Microsoft invested a couple of million into um, ChatGPT, you know, maybe a couple more zeros than that uh, to make this happen. So, yeah, we, we can't keep up with that stuff ourselves. But the wider open source community can. It's just going to take a while. Um, so we said, okay, let's then at least bring transparency. So we sat together and we said, okay, what are the main factors that are really important here? So you have indeed the resource use, you have the privacy element, you have the discrimination element, and of course the openness, can you run it on-prem or are you giving your data to a third party, etc. And we looked at these and we said, okay, you know, out of this we can make a rating. I mean, it's not perfect. There are other elements that, that you want to keep an eye on and some of these are, are very hard. For example, we can't ourselves make a rating of like on a scale of one to five how much bias is there in network x we cannot determine that what we can do is say hey is the training data open because if it is you can look for bias and then second question is the model open and is the code open because then if you find bias you can retrain the bloody thing and improve it so that is what we can talk about so what we've done is we created this rating it's a a four point rating kind of like red yellow orange green 
something like that, or red, orange, yellow, green. And so it basically answers three questions. Is this open source, both the, the, the thing that runs the model and the thing that trains the model? Two, is the model itself available so you can actually run it locally? And three, is the data available and open so you can actually check for biases and make changes? And if all these three conditions are met, it's green. If two of the three are red, it's yellow. If one of the three is red, is met, it's orange. And if none of them are met, it's red. So ChatGPT, red, recognize, which is our on-prem face and image recognition, is green because the data set is open, fully open source, and you can run the model open. Uh, Whisper, I believe it's trained on a proprietary data set, so, but at least the model is open and the software is open, so you can run it locally, so it's yellow and so on. Um, so this is what we've been working on. And of course, we try to bring new models um, and bring on-prem alternatives as quick as possible. Uh, for example, for translation, we have Deepl, uh, but we also have, um, I think that's Whisper to have this on-prem. So you have two options there. So as much as possible, we try to provide people an alternative, but at least you're going into it with your eyes wide open. And you can immediately see, okay, this is red. I'll be giving away my data. This is yellow. Let me quickly check. Ah, okay, so the model is not available for on-prem. So I'm, again, giving away my data, but at least the training set is open and, you know, the software is open source and so on. So this way, at least we create a transparency while we're integrating these AI services across our application. And then, yes, and, and of course, none of them get installed, at least not the... Um, Nothing that leaks data will get installed by default with Nextcloud, right? These are explicit decisions that you have to make to install this. Um, so the automatic login protection, this is installed by default because it's fully running on your server on-prem. There's no data leaks, nothing. Uh, the, the smart mailbox is also installed by default, but most of the other stuff is not either because it requires 8 gigs of RAM or because it leaks data to a third party and you know, we want you as an admin to make that choice before your users start to go nuts and let half their emails be written by ChatGPT or their chat messages or their documents or <laughs> their cards. That makes so much sense. And that's a really encouraging way to look at this, to give you almost like a, a heads up of what technologies may you may want to consider. And I think that's really important. And again, just to say even, you know, again, I think this episode, we've probably shouted out more of our previous episodes than ever before, but go and listen to our discussion, folks, with, Kath, uh, with Dot, sorry, Dr. Catherine Flake, all about AI, all about the risks of AI and why it's maybe not all it's cracked up to be. We'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, I'm very much aware of time and that, you know, uh, Josh, you've been so incredibly kind to talk us through. So I know there's so much more we can talk about. I think one thing to wrap up on is just to ask you, people might be saying, oh, this all sounds great, but it's too complex for me. What what would you encourage people to just give this a try on maybe their own, you know, their own pie or their own server and just have people have a play because it's so easy to do that on your own machine. But, you know, um, again, if we're talking Docker images, just get Docker up and running or, you know, VMs or just, in fact, actually, here we go. Um, I'll get, Joss, what would you say to people who may be a little bit nervous to try something? And I'll tell people of a great way they can support this show and get your own Nextcloud instance. That's a double win. Uh, I, I want to pitch two. Well, there are a bunch of options. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned if you have a Raspberry Pi around. Uh, but as I said before, running a server, 
It's not trivial. Next round is easy, mm. provided you know how to run a server. And, and this is a big barrier. Um, so we actually, we, we faced, or our users have been facing this problem for a long time. And there's a ton of companies that are offering hosting, uh, like your friends at Linode by Akamai, mm. which is really cool. And they make it very easy for people to get it up and running. But there's still a tiny bit of like, yeah, but you are still responsible for your own server, even if it runs in the cloud of a company that is really cool, but still there is a server running that, you know, if something breaks, you have to SSH in one way or another. And if you're scared of a command line, it is, I can imagine it's a little uncomfortable. So then there are two other options. So we have been thinking long and hard because if you want to get Dropbox, what do you do? You download the app, you say create new account, you give username, you give a password, you click sign in, and you're up and running. This is extraordinarily, scarily easy. Mm. Nextout can't do that, right? We're an open source, on-prem, self-hosted solution. We can't do that. Yes, we can. We actually made it just as easy. If you download our app and you choose create account and you give a username and a password and you click login, you are running a free instance at one of our participating providers. We will automatically pre-select a provider, but it is just as easy to get a free Nextout instance with at least two gigabytes of storage. Depending on where you live, it's a regional provider as much as possible. And it's just as easy as with Dropbox. So if you just want to try out Nextcloud, this is the way to do it. Just download a client. can be the desktop client, can be the Android, can be iOS. That's how easy we managed to make it. Pretty proud of that. And I got a question. I'm going to guess then it's very easy to migrate that data from that provider to another place. Uh, Yes, in the sense that we have a migration feature. Of course, we do a data export feature. I'm not sure if all those providers have that enabled, to be entirely honest, because I haven't checked it mostly. Uh, They should. It's a pretty standard feature of Nexus. If not, you can ask them. Uh, and of course, you can always download the files, but there's an export feature that can download your user accounts, all your files with the comments, all the metadata, etc. And you can then import it in another instance and get everything back the way it was. Of course, your share links will stop working because, you know, they're pointed to a different server. It's the only thing that you lose. That's kind of, yeah, that, that's hard to fix, of course. But yes, there's an import-export feature. So if you say after a few months, hey, I'm loving it, good for you. You want to run it yourself at Linode or somewhere else, get a server up and running, export your data, import it there, and you're good to go. Oh, that's awesome. Data portability. I love that. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said Linode because, folks, if you, uh, maybe you've, either you are not scared of a command line, you know what you're doing, you're a command line hero, and you want to get started, and you want 60 days of free credit, $100 of credit for 60 days with our wonderful friends at Akamai. Head over to crosswires.net forward slash Linode. We probably need to, Jay, put an Akamai link in there as well at some point, but forward slash Linode, so crosswires.net forward slash Linode. Sign up and you can get $100 of free credit. That's more than enough to get you a good few months of a, a really nice Linode instance to get you up and running. Get yourself installed. They have the one-click install for Nextcloud. It is the AIO, which, as we said, is the easiest way. It means everything's there for you. You can run Nextcloud Talk, Nextcloud Office, Nextcloud 5, the whole thing on Linode, and they make it so easy. And 
you know what? We love them. Thank you so much to Linode for being a partner with us on this. Thank you very much. And Joss, thank you so much for your time. It has been just, I, I'm so, I was so glad when we were able to put this together. Um, where can people find out more about Nextcloud? It's just nextcloud.com. Dot com. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything is there. I mean, if you want the specific link, nextcloud.com slash your data, I always like that as a place to get started because it gives you a bit of an idea of all the thoughts behind Nextcloud, call it a little manifesto of ours. And it also points you to the different ways in which you can get started. Either, you know, the simple sign up thing that I mentioned earlier, uh, just grab a client and get up and running or indeed go to Linode, go to one of the other providers or do it completely yourself on Raspberry Pi. All the options are there. Absolutely. All right. Jay, thank you so much as always for all your contributions. I know, and, and fair, I've got to give Jay some credit because I know Jay is like, has been definitely the half of the team who's been like, I love that. cloud. This thing is incredible. And I think ev- just as a little bit of a shout out, Josh, just to say how much we love, like, so we're, as I said, people, we're using Nextcloud text and Nextcloud files. Every time we've sent a guest a link for collaborating on the recording notes, they've been so blown away with how simple it is. No sign up, no, oh, you need to be added by to this Google account. It just works. And we, every guest that we've sent these links to have been so impressed. So full kudos to yourself and the Nextcloud team. And I don't know if any of your team will end up listening to this. I, I hope it will. Thank you to every single person who works at Nextcloud, who's contributed to Nextcloud, who's made it possible for this wonderful service, wonderful open source software to exist. Thank you so much. We owe you so much. And with that, we will roll the outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams. If you like what you've heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening.